Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm your host, Lane Nordland, and our guest today is a cattleman from West Virginia, originally from Texas, I must note, and he is a friend to many in the industry. I'm talking about Jeff Clark. He's also a market development specialist at Corteva AgriScience, and we are going to discuss today some important issues that all cattlemen and women are facing right now and that is a rising price in feed grains we're expecting a 12 percent increase in grain prices for livestock feed this year alone and also drought and the impact that's had on our pastures and also just so many other factors that impact the health of our pasture land and our herd health as well And of course, it's all about keeping everyone in business and profitable. It's going to be a great conversation from a fellow producer and outstanding advocate for the industry, Mr. Jeff Clark. But first, these words from our sponsor of today's podcast. When looking to manage costs in your operation, start by maximizing your lowest cost feed source, your grazing acres. New DuraCore herbicide from Corteva AgriScience delivers extended control against broadleaf weeds. DuraCore stops weeds that are up and growing while providing lasting residual control of weeds that germinate later. That keeps pastures clean, forage grasses growing, and cattle gaining. See what's possible when your pasture's potential takes root. Visit DuraCoreHerbicide.com. And once again, a big thank you to the podcast sponsor for today, our friends at Corteva AgriScience. Coming back to the Cattleman's Call podcast, we are joined by Corteva AgriSciences, their range and pasture divisions. Jeff Clark here today. He is a a familiar name and face in the cattle industry, and we are going to talk about grain prices and managing and working with pastures and becoming more efficient out on our range lines here today. But uh, Jeff, it has been a busy week. Uh, both you and I were participating in the uh, 2021 Cattle Industry Convention Winter Reboot. I, I know you presented there online virtually this week. Uh, other than that, how has your week been? Oh, Lane, it's, uh, first of all, it's good to be uh, good to be with you and everything. Uh, it's been very busy. Uh, you know, people are coming out of a, a deep freeze pretty much throughout the entire nation. And uh, uh, Mother Nature's given us a little bit of uh, sunshine and some a uh, little bit more warmth than the, what we have seen. So uh, it's been uh, it's been busy. People are getting uh, geared up to uh, uh, get pastures ready and, and get ready for those spring cabin mamas to uh, start laying down some calves on some green grass. No, definitely. And and over here in Montana, where I'm broadcasting from, the folks that have been calving, it's just been quite the weather event, which I know it has been everywhere. But uh, from my firsthand experience, uh, we had that terrible cold uh, about a week plus ago. And then we had a Chinook, and and those are warm winds that come off the Rocky Mountains and it melts everything. Well, we had one of those Chinook winds uh, here earlier this week that created just a skating rink in my front yard and everywhere else around here and now today it was like seven degrees when i woke up so we go from oh, wow. 30 below uh, a week ago to 50 above a few days ago to back to about seven to 20 degrees here <laughs> here today <laughs> but uh it, it's challenging 
those of us in the industry, we know that. And hopefully folks that are staying warm and feeding, I know they're tuning in to the Cattleman's Call podcast, which is, I'm great we can provide maybe a little a little bit of information, but I know on my end, a lot of comic relief. <laughs> Usually people probably <laughs> shaking their, their head but uh, at me. But Jeff, you know, first off, I know you are the market development specialist there uh, with Corteva AgriScience. Uh, but for yourself, you, you're still involved in production agriculture. You own cattle in the state of West uh, West Virginia there. Could you maybe just uh, talk about your, your journey getting to Corteva, uh, your, your life in production agriculture, and, and why it's important for you to stay involved in production agriculture and also having a career uh, in, in agribusiness as well. No, absolutely, Lane. So, yeah, I, I, I grew up around cattle. I'm originally from uh, the Texas, uh, Texas, Mount Pleasant, Texas area. Uh, we ran cattle there. Uh, you know, if you wanted to consider a fourth generation cattle rancher, uh, that still continues today. Even though I'm not in Texas, uh, we are in West Virginia. Um, I, I married a West Virginian uh, going on 11 years ago. And um, uh, her family had a big cattle operation up here as well. So we just, you know, combined the two and, um, you know, still love it today. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're raising cattle. We're a cow-calf operation. Uh, we do have some purebred uh, stock within, but it's, it's primarily a, uh, a commercial, uh, you know, cattle-based uh, operation. Uh, we do do some backgrounding on some calves. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, other than that, still in the cattle business, love it. So, it's one of those things that when I go out and talk to producers, uh, you know, I'm able to get down on their level and understand exactly what they're going through, what they're needing, because I'm living it as well. And, you know, the other cool thing is, and doing what I do is that I get to, you know, try out everything first and say, mm-hmm. hey, is this really going to work or not? Well, exactly. And just uh, building that trust up with your, your fellow peers in the industry is so important. And, and as you mentioned, you can be the guinea pig. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But, uh, but uh, as, as we look at, you know, we are here in the winter um, and moisture is just so important. And, and we have received moisture and maybe for especially our friends in the south that aren't used to the cold and, and the snow that comes with it, just seeing uh, the struggles that so many southern producers have gone through in the past week i just uh our, our thoughts are with them this this weather has not uh, not been great but um with that we we're we hoping for springtime to, to see that grass start to come out of the ground that green grass and looking to turn out to pasture uh, uh very soon so I, I i'm looking forward to maybe learning more about you know as how we look at grazing and, and how that can help producers put more pounds on our calves and uh and looking at maybe some simple things producers can do to help improve their pastures uh, no matter where they're located whether it's west virginia or montana and, and how you and your team at corteva agriscience are are truly a tool that uh, producers can have in that toolbox to, to help them become more profitable and so as as we look at a lot of things going on right now one thing that is for sure uh, i know producers are watching is the price of the commodity sector right now uh we're, we're watching these grain prices prices uh, continue to rise. The outlook is going to be like 12% higher as of the latest prediction on how much feed grain can go up in the next year. Um, so with these prospects for higher grains, uh, are producers having to rethink uh, their production for the upcoming year and, and how we can put more pounds uh, on in the pasture versus maybe uh, a backgrounding operation or a feedlot? Uh, what, what's that dialogue been with producers that are concerned about this, Jeff? Yeah, no, you're, you're right, Lane. You know, ranchers 
myself, we are, you know, uh, concerned about the grain price, commodity prices, and we are concerned about uh, even the rise of fertilizer prices at mm-hmm. that. Um, so when we start to see these rising tides of prices, uh, one of the first things we must do is we, we must re- reevaluate our pastures, whether that is, you know, hay ground or just grazing pastures. Uh, we, we, we've got to go back to the drawing board on that. Um, you know, the thing is, is that your, your feed companies out there, um, they will they will immediately tell you they are a complement. Um, you know their products complement uh, grazing pastures uh, because we all look at that grazing pastures is a first primary source for that grazing animal. Um, when you know talking about beef cattle, you know eighty percent of their nutrient intake is coming from those forages. Uh, so when we start to see these rising tides of prices. Uh, this is the time to not, well, first of all, not, you know, not panicking and go, oh my gosh, I've just got to maybe go out and sell everything, but simply go back to that pasture and look at it. Okay. How much forage am I truly uh, able to give my cattle? Am I overstocking? Um, you know, am I overgrazing those acres? Uh, we might have to readjust some of the, you know, how we graze. Um, but some simple steps to prepare for spending that money instead of going out and buying a whole bunch of feed and having those in, you know, increased costs is to uh, just, again, reevaluate that pasture, look at that pasture. And one of the simplest you know, steps to start off with uh, is making sure you're getting that soil sample in there. I, that's one thing that I preach. And it might be, you know, some people might think, well, that is such simple. That is such fundamental. But it's like this. You might have a generator, but if you don't have any gasoline in that generator, Wayne, is that generator going to crank up? (laughs) Not a bit. It's still a generator. It's still there, and it looks good. But it's not doing anything for you when you need it. So you got to put something into it. you got to put fuel into it. And that's exactly what is going on with our pastures. And one of the things that when ranchers start to reevaluate their pastures or evaluate them or have us out to come look at them, you know, that's the one thing they most of the times they miss is – Putting that fuel into it. Where is their, you know, their soil pH? Um, most of the time, you know, uh, ranchers, whether they're hay producers or they're cattle grazers, they they are well under where uh, that that soil fertility needs to be. You know, they're taking off more than they're putting back on, and then they're wondering why they're not getting uh, those extra pounds on those calves. They're not getting the, those extra animal units per acre that you know, they would like to see. So with this year. This is the time that we need to focus in on that soil fertility, getting those soil samples in. Where's your pH? Because if we're not giving anything back to that grass, we are asking for too much. Um, and therefore, you will end up feeding you know, more commodities. You will end up having that increased cost, uh, or you will be selling cattle that you don't maybe want to sell. So first step is, is this. Don't panic. Re- start reevaluating your pastures. And then go get those soil samples in. Now, Jeff, a question that that I have is: How frequently should a producer have their soils sampled? Yeah, so every other year you need to be pulling soil samples. Some people might say, "Well, that's just too much. Uh, that's you know, that's too close together. It needs to be every third year to do it." I'm a fan of every other year. Let's pull soil samples because every year seems to be really extremely different than last year. Um, it seems like mother nature is just throwing some major extremes here over and over again. And plus we're trying to get as much as we can out of those fields every single year. 
Um, so I'm a, I'm a type of guy that I want, you know, Hey, if you're going to do your soil samples, do it every other year. Um, start off with, you know, if, especially if you're a producer that, you know, does, you know, cuts their own hay, um, start with that first, because that's your pasture in the winter time when, you know, ice and snow seem to be, uh, covering up everything for grazing, uh, then, then work back into your summer grazing pastures. Um, but get those, you know, get those in every other year and let's keep a good record of those analysis so that when myself or, uh, you know, an agronomist, uh, comes out or, you know, somebody is coming out to help you develop those pastures, we can really have a baseline to start off on or go, Hey, this, you know, this is the pasture that you need to focus in on because look at the deficiency of the nutrients that you're missing. That's going to give you a healthier and more. Uh, sustainable forage moving forward. So when we look at, uh, obviously that first tip is so important not to panic, uh, looking at uh, what you have on hand and just the simple things like getting that soil sample taken care of, uh, working with someone there on the local level that can do that for you. And then, you know, reaching out with an expert like yourself at Corteva to really uh, look at that game plan and, and to start planning for the next year ahead and years ahead. Um, what successes do ranchers see when they really start focusing on their pastures and in in that focus, maybe looking at it just a little bit different than they have in the past. Well, they they start to see good grasses grow. So not all grasses are created equal, Lane. So when I'm what I'm getting by that is just because you have grass out on the pasture doesn't mean it's good. Uh, what we start to see when soil samples are taking and soil fertility is in check. Uh, and we're really given the, 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 the desirable forages, the nutrients that's needed um, outside of weed control. And, and I'm sure we'll get to that here in a little bit. But we start to see the desirable grasses grow healthier and the undesirable grasses that really have no nutritional value at all. They start to disappear. They start to be outcompeted by the grasses with that, that we need. And then we start to see that protein content increase. So, you know, instead of a, like a cool season grass having a, a seven or eight percent protein, when we're giving it what it needs, we're starting to see that 12, 14, 16, 18 percent protein. Well, now we're in feeds. Now, now we're feeding feed. So at that point in time, your cows are going to flesh out better. Your cows are going to maintain a better you know, body condition score. And then those calves on those cows well, guess what? They're going to love that taste, mm -hmm. and they're going to start nibbling on that grass. Next thing you know, you're getting some pounds that you would not normally get unless you were feeding a commodity feed to them, and it's not really costing you much at all. You know, with that, as we look at, you know, increasing these opportunities to produce more pounds on our pastures, uh, a lot of folks might be thinking, well, heck, maybe maybe since grain's going up, we're not going to supplement with that a little bit more. Let's uh, We might want to try to, uh, say, uh, intensively graze some of these pastures a little more. It's always a challenge knowing exactly how long you need to be on these new parcels if you've never grazed on it. But you might have a, a pasture out there that, that you normally graze for just a few short weeks, but now you might you know prolong that a little more. What, uh, what should folks be thinking about then? if they might intensively graze some pastures they've never done before. Yeah. So when we're talking about intensive grazing, um, we still need to make sure, you know, we're not putting that forage again, that we're, we're trying to drive into a, a state of stressfulness. So no, it, it, whether, whether you're intensive grazing 
some people call it a mob graze, or you're just simply grazing your herd out there. It's just an always, it's always a good rule of thumb to make sure that you're managing uh, your grazing time by your grass height and not your grazing time by how many, how many days or weeks that you've turned them out because not all cows are equal. Uh, Lane, I've got some cows out here that will, uh, they, they will put the hot dog uh, eating contest person to shame because they won't stop eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then you've got some that are smart. They'll eat, get full, get happy, go chew their cud while they're laying under the shade tree or something. Um, so all cows aren't created equal, but we've got to treat our pastures equal. And we got to make sure that we're not putting them in a position of stress that is going to, to uh, deter us being able to come back and graze that pasture as you know as our grazing months moves on. Jeff, I really enjoyed your presentation during the uh, Cattle Industry uh, uh, Winter Reboot, that virtual gathering that uh, so many of us uh, participated in uh, this week. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, talking about toxic species because I, I think there, there's always those those weeds like loco weed and uh, larkspur that, that we think about, but uh, th- there's a lot of toxic species out there. Um, what should folks be looking for when we're trying to control them, and how important is it to, uh, time-wise f- finding the, these plants that truly could uh, bring a, a lot of uh, a lot of bad things to your herd if, if they were uh, eaten? Yeah, and that's a very important factor is is understanding. You know, again, as we talked about, you know, all cows aren't created equal. Not all weeds are created equal. Uh, some weeds out there are definitely some, you know, develop bigger root systems and they're going to reach down and grab the nutrients that are being robbed, you know, or being taken from your forges. Um, and then you've got some weeds that, you know, gosh, they look pretty, but man alive, they're toxic as all get out. Um, and one of the things that we must do is, is this. Uh, it's kind of like going to a steakhouse lane. You go and you order your steak, and when the steak comes and hits the plate right in front of you, you're going to look at it. You're going to check, is this how <laughs> I wanted it? Th- that's exactly how we need to be with our pastures. We need to be out there scouting our pastures, looking at our pastures, not just doing the old drive-by from the window of the truck. Yep, everything looks good. It, we really need to be out there. And, and I say this, this this reason why. You take Perilla Mint, uh, it, it's one of the most toxic weeds out there. Not that it has maybe the most toxin properties, but it is one of those weeds that costs the cattle industry millions of dollars each year. And the reason of it is, is that because, you know, in times past, it, it, you know, it's in the nightshade family and it's an annual plant. Um, you would normally see this plant under a fence row or under a, a shade tree. But as the years have passed, Lane, we're seeing this weed grow out in the middle of pastures in the middle of sunlight. Um, so that's why we need to be scouting our fields because these plants are starting to migrate into growing in different areas, uh, that they shouldn't be, or we're not used to them being at. Uh, so we need to be out scouting and looking because if we have, again, Perilla mint, uh, in, in our pastures, that is a weed that must be identified. And the reason is, is because cattle and calves, maybe calves a little more, uh, they, they really like eating this weed. And there's no cure for it once they ingest it into their system. Now, Jeff, I, I'm not familiar too much with Perilla Mint. That is mainly kind of a, 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 a Midwest, kind of East Coast, Southeast uh, type of uh, mint plant. Is that correct? 
Yeah. So it, you know, basically, you know, from Texas up to, you know, up into the, you know, Kansas, Nebraska, into Missouri, uh, and then pretty much east, uh, it, you know, it is a very prevalent plant that we see, uh, whether it's in hay fields uh, or grazing fields. And again, you know, when we see that and we don't, you know, know about it or take care of it, um, it kills cattle and calves uh, every year, costing mm. the cattle industry and that producer lots of money. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it online, and geez, I mean, I if if this uh, northern guy is ever down at the Kentucky Derby, I'm going to make sure and and not uh, grab that mint to put in my mint julep. That's for sure. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, that would not might not go well. I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, Jeff, here here's a question. I uh, when, when I'm out and about and can't really uh, recall some of these uh, uh, grass species and, and plants and weeds uh, from from back in uh, weed identification and grass ID class back in college. Um, I use an app called Picture This uh, that to, to take pictures yep. of it and it pops up and then, you know, it kind of tells you, you know, what kind of what kind of cool season, a warm season grass. It's actually really re- a really great app when you have service. That's an issue sometimes. Sometimes you got to take the picture. Um, do you have any other apps that you recommend folks uh, have on their smartphones to uh, take pictures of uh, a species that they may not be familiar with? No, Lane, that's actually a very good app uh, to have. Um, you know, that's that's one of those, uh, some, some reps don't want to throw that out there because that's a hidden secret. But to <laughs> me, hey, if the, the, the less I've got to explain, the better. Um, but yeah, that app is a very good app to have on your phone. Another one is Google Pictures. Okay. Um, if you have that app, Google Pictures on your phone, the cool thing about Google Pictures is that it searches the picture that you upload. Um uh, it searches the entire internet. So it's not just the database that only, you know, like picture this is, you know, the only pictures that are in there are what people have uploaded mm-hmm. with Google pictures. Um, you know, that picture that you, you weren't trying to find, uh, it searches across the entire internet. So bigger, broader database to get more, you know, exact. Well, again, uh, uh, Google Pictures, as Jeff said, or Picture This app, that's an app I just have on my phone going around and looking uh, at different species, or you just can't recall, because that's another thing. Regionally, uh, we all have different names for different grasses and plants out there. So no, absolutely. So I really do enjoy uh, and farmer names. Exactly. That's oh, that's like uh, um, actually this summer. we we've, uh, we spread quite a lot uh, of uh, spotted knapweed on, on a new place that we have, and uh, it, it was just a we were using Corteva products. I, I, I'm not getting paid to say that, but hey, I, I we were using Corteva products, that's for sure. And uh, the the one plant that really uh, that got the best of me because I was also doing TV remotely from the ranch, and uh, I was filming TV one day, and I'm going and I'm talking with my hands, and I really never didn't look at my surroundings too much, and uh, I kind of moved my hand and whap i mean i thought i got bit by a rattlesnake and it was stinging nettles oh that was oh so i backed the spray truck over there and gave a nice douse to that uh, that lovely plant but i knew not to wash my hands until it dried i I remembered that from college so (laughs) that's right that's right but uh, hey, uh, for for that uh, perilla mint, uh, what 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 would you suggest? Uh, uh, what would be a good uh, option to to try to get a handle on that for for our producers that see that in their pastures? No, absolutely. Um, first of all, it's an annual weed, which means it doesn't have any kind of true root system to it. 
that that plant will germinate typically in the summer months so you can easily start to see it depending on again mother nature and soil temperatures but you can start to see that plant in the in the june mayish june months uh, of most states um, but it will it'll germinate uh, it has some really uh, nice size uh, leaves on it um, it's you know the stem of it kind of has a hex feeling to it um, the on the leaf on the bottom side it's got a purplish color to it uh, that's the telltale sign right there as the plant gets older and goes into its maturity and into its reproductive stage it will t- uh, typically put off a little bit of a minty smell um, and that is where the calves like it mm-hmm. uh, it uh, when they when they taste it it tastes good it, it's it's palatable and they want to take it and eat it and that's when they ingest it so we want to make sure that we're spraying, whether it is Duracore or Grazon Next, um, we're spraying these products um, you know, when we start to see these plants. That'll also give you a residual with those two options, Duracore or Grazon. Uh, it'll give you a residual to help you get uh, you know, through the rest of the grazing season that summer, uh, and, that, and therefore those type of weeds fully at bay. Mm-hmm. Again, well, thanks for for explaining more um, about the options that producers do have and trying to get a hold on that. And just uh, when when you can prevent livestock loss, I I think all of us in the industry, we we need to look at every tool we have out there. And, and of course, uh, getting a hold on on those uh, species like Perlament. Again, I I haven't had to deal with it up here, but just uh, uh, from uh, you explaining it to me here today and also uh, on the uh, uh, winter reboot this week, it really opened my eyes just all the challenges we face on our different pasture lands out, out across uh, uh, the U.S. here. And, but one thing that really is on the top of folks' mind is uh, obviously as we move into the springtime, wanting to look at kind of what our, our, our grazing uh, practices will be this year, though, is also looking back to the severe drought that we saw back in 2020. Um, and we still had to turn out and graze during a drought. So what, um, and through this winter, even though this cold temperatures we've had, we've still seen severe drought across uh, uh, much of the nation. Um, What stress does this cause to our pasture? What should we be thinking about uh, as we uh, prep for this upcoming grazing season? Uh, No, you're right, Lane. We, we have definitely seen our fair share of droughts. Uh, You you know, either it was statewide or it was, you know, County, you know, pockets. uh, We saw the drought and the main thing that we've got to do, especially on those pastures that you know have been uh, stressed with drought, is don't put any more stresses on them. We need them to rest. Um, we need them to uh, get plenty of moisture. Um, and if we can let that pasture um, or hay ground rest without any grazing on it, that's even better. But if we have to graze on it because we're just, you know, gosh, I've got to have this place to put some cattle. Mm-hmm. Try to call your numbers back. You know, increase the amount of acres per animal unit. Uh, give those pastures time to, again, rest, get some moisture. Uh, if we are starting to see, you know, hey, our grasses just aren't, you know, coming back, that drought stress might have taken out some grass. So we might have to look at implementing some grasses, uh, implementing some clovers as well uh we might have to implement in some annual grass something like a you know um you know for uh the central u.s and this might fit for you as well lane but central u.s and some eastern states you might have to put in some you know annual ryegrass something that will jump really fast 
and give us uh, some grazing opportunity and lay the grazing pressure off of those other grasses that are, you know, trying to come out of the drought um, or, again, you know, that are trying to grow after we've seeded them in. And so how about for producers, Jeff, that are, are still going to be going into this year, uh, continuing off of a drought that's uh, still dry in their area, precip might not be on the horizon. What what tips do you have for them there if they can't let that pasture rest for a full year? Um, uh, honestly, at that point in time, you're in, uh, and I hate to even say this, but I've got to be realistic, you're, you're in a salvage mode situation. Um, you're again, releasing some of that grazing pressure as much as possible is going to be key. Um, again, until you get some moisture or you're able to implement some other grazing opportunity, the forage is in there. Um, uh, just again, making sure that you are not adding, uh, too much more stress and pressure on that pasture. Uh, that's just, that's just going to be key. I mean, there's really no silver bullet on mm-hmm. those types of situations. It is trying to make do with, you know, uh, with what you've got, um, uh, you know, what you're being dealt, and then trying to, you know, not rip the Band-Aid off so fast and so hard, but just do it slow and easy. And that just simply comes with, again, watching how many animal units you've got grazing on that particular stress pasture. And on the other side of this conversation, there are quite a lot of pastures just right around my immediate area. Um, and, and I know other parts of the nation where, you know, there's a nice uh, layer of snow on top of uh, pasture land. And or they've seen a lot more moisture through rain in areas where uh, snow is not uh, typical. What should they be thinking about as we prepare for uh, springtime uh, with with, uh, with a nice uh, layer of snow and insulation on top? Well, the good key is that you're going to get some moisture there, um, and, and you know uh, the cool grasses, uh, you know cool season grasses that are you know that will be underneath there as well are are going to be primed and ready. Outside of that, you know. Um, it's almost like with you know with hay it's 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 starting to run short in a lot of areas too because of the uh the weather that we've had you know that would be the place that you can uh look at supplementing some feed uh, especially if you cannot just you know uh leave that pasture alone um and and again that's just where you would need to get with uh again you're either extension agent or a range and pasture specialist with corteva and have them come out and look and see what's actually going on. Um, but that's that's the advice that I would personally give is simply, look, if you're in that situation where you've got snowed in fields, um, you know, you're you're probably going to have to utilize some of that supplement feed until we are able to get some of the forages growing back how they need to be. Well, and also as we move into the springtime and grazing time, obviously toxicity is also an issue that uh, I talk quite a bit uh, about uh, when we move into our grazing months uh, with my extension agents up here in Montana, just getting the word out. Uh, What are some grass toxicity things that producers should always be aware of? Uh, When we're talking about grass toxicity within cattle, um, just to kind of give you some examples of what cattle can react to, uh, is simply, you know, are they lethargic? Um, do they have any froth around the mouth? Are they stretching out almost looking like a, you know, a, a Tennessee Walker horse, you know, all stretched out? Do they seem confused? Uh, do they seem combative when they typically wouldn't be? 
you know, those are things of toxic, you know, toxicity issues within cattle that affect the neurological system of the cattle. And that's where a lot of grasses um, do uh, uh, hit when they uh, when the cattle graze them is the neurological issues. Uh, so those are some things to look at. And if you do find those, make sure that you are getting, uh, you know, your pastures looked at immediately because we want to make sure that, hey, this might be an issue where we need to take the whole herd off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then get those grasses, uh, or again, broadleaf weeds that are toxic, get those identified and see about getting, you know, how we can get those eradicated out of there. Uh, always have a good, uh, um, relationship with your veterinarian. Uh, I, I don't know how it works out, you know, in Montana, cause it, you know, you know, I, I can say it's maybe it's like West Texas where, you know, you've got cattle miles and miles on grazing. Uh, and you might not have that many large animal veterinarians immediately to get out there, mm-hmm. but it's always good to have at least a good relationship to where maybe you don't have one that's accessible to get out there to your property immediately that, that you can at least make a phone call to. And you've got that relationship with them that you can discuss these things with them to try to maybe say, Hey, it's an over counter shot that we can uh, uh, work with our cattle or no, this is something that I do need to come out, you know, as a veterinarian, they need to come out and, uh, and, you know, observe the cattle and see what's going on. Well, again, that's one of the greatest things about uh, smartphone technology is being able to actually fit film livestock and be able to uh, send that to the, your veterinary. Not saying that is a perfect solution, but sometimes um, those vets can really t- diagnose something uh, pretty fast using tele telemedicine i guess we could call it for for our, our bovine friends uh, but no absolutely i, I i'm i'm laughing here uh, jeff uh, looking at uh, that uh, perilla mint again kind of the picture of it and uh, some other names of the perilla mint uh, kind of maybe regional names um and this name would really throw me off i i would maybe try to eat it you know uh, being naive for montana not seeing this plant before beefsteak plant beefsteak plant oh yeah and i'm like that that sounds pretty tasty to me or just beefsteak i'm like oh god <laughs> why why would we put something tasty like beefsteak plant on, on something that could be so toxic to our cattle herds um yeah i i don't know i, I i'd like to meet the person that uh, decided to call it a beefsteak plant <laughs> I, I just need to stay, stay away from the stinging nettles and the beefsteak plant and i think i should be good so yeah you, you you'll be fine <laughs> yeah we don't want anybody thinking that i need to go plant a whole bunch of beefsteak plant because that will give me an increase of beef or something yeah i mean yeah pounds yeah that really would uh, reduce your pounds uh, per acre for <laughs> but no doubt you know maybe continuing on talking about herd health uh, uh, those toxicity issues and being mindful and uh, keeping an eye on your cattle uh, during pasture season. You know, we, we we have really dived into how grazing can keep an operation uh, going from a cost standpoint, but there are a lot of benefits to herd health as well. Uh, and, you know, we could talk uh, uh, all day long about uh, beefsteak plants here today and really go off into the weeds. But uh, how does a producer need to look at uh uh, herd health and, and benefiting that from, from grazing and making sure that uh, we have the grasses out there that we need and, and utilizing tools that Corteva provides that way. Yeah. So we, we got to understand again, you know, uh, a cow will spend 80% of her, you know, nutrient intake from a grazing situation. Uh, the other 20% is going to be, you know, any kind of feed that we give them, any kind of mineral we give them. 
So when we talking, we're talking about, you know, with herd health, you know, especially on a, you know, from a, you know, uh, a pasture herbicide company, uh, it, it, you can kind of get the, uh, the funny looks. But if you'll notice across the board lane, whether it's a animal health pharmaceutical company or it's a feed company, they will all say that they are just supplement for a good pasture program. Uh, that, that's the key thing because so much comes out of that pasture again, whether it's grass toxins like you just we were just mentioning or it's broadleaf you know toxins like we were just me- mentioning. But even down to parasite issues because when we graze too close to the ground, we're allowing, uh, to where that uh, uh, larva lies on that forage to be consumed in. And then we've got even worse parasite problems uh, within our cattle. And then we're spending money on more wormers or veterinarian bills uh, when it all goes back down to that, that grazing. So when a producer is looking at their pasture, again, looking at soil fertility, looking at weed management, looking at forage management, uh, I want and I hope that they also have, you know, within their within their file cabinet in their mind, hey, I, this this affects my overall herd health at the end of the day, because it's one of the things I always say, you can have a good feed program, that's great. You can have a good mineral program, that's phenomenal. You can have a great vaccine program, that's phenomenal. But at the end of the day, you don't really need all those three things to be in the cattle business and to have cattle. But you do need your pastures. Mm-hmm. They've got to have that forage. They cannot survive without forage. Whether you're in a hoop barn, you're on a concrete pad, you, you, you are feeding them a type of forage, whether it's in a square bale, round bale, or you're grazing them. So we fit as a company and what we produce um, as Corteva, uh, we, we fit that model of, hey, we're right there in the herd health conversation day in, day out. We all know just how horrible overgrazing can be to the health of the pastures themselves. We we know that, but sometimes we may not think about the overall uh, effect that it has on herd health as well. What what are the conversations you have with producers when looking at overgrazing and herd health as well? Yeah, so easy about this, um, you know, when we start to have overgrazing issues, that means we're starting to have a decrease in nutrients automatically uh grasses are stressed they're not going to be producing uh uh, the the protein that they're needing so therefore we have a decrease in nutrition automatically and anytime we have a decrease in nutrition or food intake uh decrease in nutrition nutrition therefore we have a decrease in pounds so you might ask how in the world does that affect you know the conversation or or imply into the conversation of herd health because anytime we have a decrease in pounds in our cat or excuse me, our cattle, then that is automatically going to deter her breeding back in the time that she should be breeding back to give you a calf every 365 days of the year. And if she's a mama cow with a calf and we're not giving her the proper nutrition that she's needing because we have a decrease of that food intake, which therefore we have a decrease of that forage nutrition and a decrease of that body condition score, that BCS score, then therefore she's also going to have a decrease of milk production. Now, this has nothing to do with, you know, uh, EPA and genetics and everything like that. It has everything, or EPD, excuse me, in in genetics. It has everything to do with she's not getting the nutrition, therefore she cannot create the milk that she's needing to create for that calf, and therefore that calf suffers, all right, 
And if we're not supplementing the feed at that point in time, that calf is going to have to catch up 40 to 45 to 50 pounds at the tail end. And therefore, you're going to have a lower class of calf automatically uh, because of that weight and that nutrition deficiency. So we play a big role in that when we're talking about making sure that you're not overgrazing, making sure you've got plenty of forage out there. It's not just about the free feed. It's about the whole story. It's about the whole picture of what those forages uh, uh, can do to your cattle and what they can't do for your cattle in the wrong uh, uh, management. Now, in your experience, uh, like like we joked, uh, you can be a guinea pig for 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 uh, uh, these uh, uh, opportunities to improve your pastures uh, with the products that that you do represent, and and I know you believe in them because they do work. So, uh, when we look at weed control, how is that improving the overall uh, body condition of your cattle? Well, so if we're talking about weed control uh, in, in a forage setting, let's just say you got a pasture that hey, I've gotten. I've gotten my soil fertility in check. I'm growing grass. So how does the controlling of broadleafs help me out? Well, you got to remember your broadleaf weed or your brush, all right, they're, they're thieves. Um, they are uh, robbers going into a bank and taking the money. Um, and then you need to go in and, and get some money out of the bank and there's no more money there. That's what the weeds do. They rob your nutrition. They rob your micro and macronutrients they rob your water um, and therefore they create a stress zone for your forages because they are now lacking the nutrition and they are now lacking the water that has been in the soil colloids and therefore they can absolutely take away the nutritional side of your forage they can start growing up really tall i mean you take a, a blackberry bush uh they get you know pretty tall uh, and gnarly and you remove that there's no grass there they start shadowing out your grasses they start shadowing out uh, uh new new germination of grasses so they're detrimental to your forage program not only on top of that but they start to reduce your uh, uh stocking capacity so when you start to see weeds out there, uh, one pound of weeds, a good rule of thumb is one pound of weeds starts to remove one and a half pounds of forage. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. You start counting how many weeds you've got, you're just going to get depressed real quick. <laughs> and, and we don't need that either. And we don't need that. <laughs> going out and having a good spray program um, and, you know, and using one of Cortev AgriSciences products, we can eliminate that for you very, very quickly. Uh, I mean, even in the same, even in the same season, not the same year, just the same season, we can eliminate uh, those issues. Well, and that, of course, has a direct impact on that that calf that hasn't been born, or or the calf that's on that mama cow's side as well. Absolutely, goes automatically back to herd health. We've talked so much in our, our conversation here today about uh, making sure that we are utilizing our pasture land to the best ability, and and uh, that that can't be accomplished without uh, the consultations of experts like yourself and working with your extension agents and getting those soil samples. Before we uh, maybe jump to anything else, uh, are there anything else that, that maybe I missed asking you when we're talking about herd health and our, our pasture land? No, I mean, I, I think we, we covered it pretty good. Um, 
you know, uh, outside of all of what we've talked about, I just need to stress one thing, Lane, is just make sure that, you know, you're truly managing your pastures. Um, to be in the cattle business anymore, uh, you know, that's one thing we cannot neglect moving forward. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with commodity prices throughout the years? Who knows what Mother Nature's going to throw at us from month to month and year to year? Um, so therefore we need to make sure that, you know, we are really focusing in on our managing our pastures. Um, and again, working with Corteva range and pasture specialists who can sit down with you, not only identify these weeds, but identify the problems that maybe we're just, you know, some producers overlook or they miss and they can put together a portfolio for you, uh, to, to help guide you along the way. Um, and you know, we're not just out there. Uh, we're not just out there, you know, giving you recommendations. We actually will build you a portfolio, um, you know, blueprint to help you, uh, you know, get get your grazing back in into into par and get your cattle back in uh, condition that they might need if they've lost that. And maybe let's expand upon that. Just how easy is it to contact a teammate of yours with Corteva AgriScience, and and how much does it cost for a consultation? Um, well, I tell you, Lane, it's very very expensive. Typically, it's a glass of tea. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you can go to uh, you know, our website, CortevaAgriscience.com or RangeAndPasture.com uh, uh, to find out you know, more about not only our products, but more about who we are as a company. A lot of people don't know that uh, who Corteva is. You know, uh, they remember myself in the old Dow Agri Sciences days, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, Corteva is Dow Agri Sciences and Dupont uh, Agri Sciences came together, and that's who we are. Um, but also, you can, uh, uh, you know, if you don't have a direct number uh, for a rep, you can call our one eight hundred number that is found on the website, uh, and that person uh, that will answer the phone on the other end works in our corporate office. We have a big group of them. They will get you in touch with uh, the local range and pasture specialist. Uh, that way that you, you know, you can sit down and talk with him or her and, and just kind of express, hey, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm going. What do I need to do? Again, uh, you said it's pretty expensive for that consultation. <laughs> just a nice iced tea, uh, lemonade, whatever it might be. And uh, that, that, that consultation, uh, that, that's not a very high price to pay to, to have somebody come out and uh, help you create a vision for your operation. And then from there, uh, get into the, 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 the actual details and, and getting the products ordered and administering them to, to help improve your pasture land and, and create more pounds per acre, uh, especially in times of, of drought and and higher grain and other feed prices, um, and it's a smart thing to do. We, we have to take care of our pasture lands the best of our ability, but sometimes, Jeff, we all know that Mother Nature throws a curveball in there with moisture or lack of moisture, and it's just good to have these relationships with individuals like yourself or, or your Corteva teammates. No, it, you're, you're exactly right, and I'll just give you a quick little uh, background. I was riding with a rep earlier this week. We went to the sale barn in Kentucky, um, had several ranchers come up and talk to us, and one of them said, "Hey, do y'all have just a moment? I've got an issue in a pasture, and I and I really don't know what this weed is or what can I, you know, what I can do about it." So, me and the ref, we went out there and we spent two hours with the gentleman. And the cool thing about the relationship that you just mentioned, Lane, is not only did we help him identify the weeds, not only did we help him uh, develop a plan, but then he's like, "Hey, you have ju- y'all have just a moment. I want to show y'all my cattle." That's that. That's what I like about this yep. this business 
is the relationship status. Not only did we help him out, but he wanted to show us his pride and joy. And he did. He had a wonderful herd. He had a very nice herd. That's the relationships that, you know, that I love and, and that, you know, uh, we hope to see uh, as future days come upon us, uh, more uh, reps and ranchers have that type of relationship where, again, you go out and you help them. They want to show your cattle. They want to spend that time with you. And, man, then then they go and tell their friends, hey, it didn't cost me anything to have them out here. And they saved me a bunch of money because of what I had in my pasture was pretty detrimental. So, Well, again, it's all about the relationships and the trust because we're in the industry and so much can go wrong in, in raising beef. And uh, and just to have that trust and the relationship with individuals like yourself, it it truly uh, does help producers sleep a little bit easier at night knowing that they can they can trust uh, the team at Corteva and uh, and help uh, help themselves uh, have a more profitable future in the cattle business and the grass business. Jeff, I, I know you're busy. Just I- any last uh, last words or thoughts or just uh, where folks can go for more information on Corteva AgriScience? No, I, I think we, we nailed it on the head. You know, if you got any questions, again, uh, we got a great website that works uh, pretty simple. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook. Um, there's a lot of places you can reach out. I think we're even on Instagram. I don't even, I don't even honestly know what all that is about. I don't even do that. <laughs> um, but I am on Twitter, so you can definitely find me on Twitter uh, and reach out if I can help you. I'd be more than happy to. Um, or again, get you in contact with your local range and pasture specialist so that y'all can, you know, the you know the rancher whoever is needing someone can come out and visit with them and, and again get that peace of mind that we need going forward. Well, again. Jeff Clark, thank you so much for joining us. I learned more than just, I, I learned a lot today, and I also learned don't put the perilla mint in your mint and julep. No. <laughs> not not even in your sweet tea, Lane. No, no, nowhere near it. Or, or my beer. No, um, again, Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time and just sharing more about uh, all these tools that producers need to consider as uh, we look towards uh, turning out to pasture in the next coming months. Thanks for joining us here today, Jeff. With that, we will conclude today's Cattleman's Call podcast. A big thank you to the sponsor of today's show, Corteva AgriScience. Just a reminder, learn more about DuraCore Herbicide by visiting DuraCoreHerbicide.com. I'm Lane Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit NCBA.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.